the world Since I know what I've been swimming in the maze Trapped inside it now for days Living in a state of haze Lost the way, lit the fuse Is it me? What's the truth? No religion, no excuse What's the use? Damn, I think I need therapy This music and sleep won't cut a canvas to eat everyone and welcome to our seventh episode of the counseling corner hope everyone is having a good day and ready to dive into our trends our concepts today so i just want to firstly start off by um saying thank you to everyone who listened to our last episode live as well as whoever listened to the podcast as well um also wanted to thank eleanor Beatty if, if you're listening at the moment for joining us on our last episode and diving into your experiences and knowledge and and um all that kind of things um so today we'll be exploring um three different but also similar topics. Um, but also, you know, it's a, it, it'll be sort of a conversation that me and Sally will have um, uh, around all of those topics, but it'll definitely be a conversation that is open to any any comments, any ideas that you guys have or any questions that you guys have as well. So um, please feel free to um, call or text in and we'll be happy to, to take anything like that. So if you do want to do that, the number is 0493. 213831 0493213831 we're very eager to, to hear you guys um, message in or call in so we'll be talking firstly about the mental health issues trends that that we've you know we've looked into a bit of research and um, what sort of the, the trends are in terms of what people are actually experiencing in their mental health um, issues and then we'll dive a bit into um, the, the history of, of what kind of services have been available over um, the last century or so um, and how people have been supported before and, and then we'll kind of ease into a conversation about what the current um, services are today in Australia specifically and what are some of the plans and the government visions and and what um how people are kind of accessing the services today um um so yeah and then thanks Mandy hi everyone thanks for joining us for with another episode um so then we'll close the episode with our new segment therapy song of the week so the segment pretty much involves the host or guest picking a song that is either about therapy or a song that they find therapeutic so according to our research music therapy is the clinical use of music to accomplish individualized goals such as reducing stress and anxiety improving mood and self-expression or even just managing anger and frustration Um, it is an evidence-based therapy so it's well established in the health community so music therapy experiences can include listening to music singing playing instruments or composing music it's there's absolutely no requirement for skills or talents and anyone of any age can participate Um, and also our research does state that music therapy can help you psychologically emotionally physically spiritually cognitively and socially so there's a short list of benefits from music therapy such as lowering your blood pressure improving 
improving memory, self-reflection. So overall, there are many benefits to music therapy and we just thought it would be a fun way to end every show. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Sally. Um, so, yeah, so diving um, straight into our main concepts for today. Mm-hmm. So, firstly, um, to give you kind of a snapshot of the mental illnesses that, we're, that we've kind of researched and seeing um, in Australia is um, that mental illness is experienced across all areas of communities um, in Australia. Um, it has far-reaching implications for all individuals and for the population. So, after doing some research, we found that in... 2007, uh, a national survey was put out for mental health and well-being um, that was designed to provide a lifetime prevalence estimates for mental disorders. The the study actually interviewed, let me get this number right, 8,800 wow. people aged between 26 and 85 years mm-hmm. of age. The results showed that 45% of the population had experienced a mental illness in their lifetime. Only five people, which is 20%, had experienced, one in five people, sorry, one in five people, 20% had experienced a mental health issue in the last 12 months. Of that 20% of people, 14 met the criteria for anxiety disorders and um, about 0.2% were affective disorders, which, um, which... just means emotional disorders including like things like depression um and then it was also found that 5.1 experienced substance abuse disorders Mm -hmm. wow those numbers are pretty massive especially because 45 percent of the population will experience a mental health illness in their lifetime so i guess that's like almost half the population Mm -hmm. if you think about it yeah um it just goes to show how prevalent mental illness is it absolutely does not discriminate and can happen to just anyone. Mm. So we as a population, I guess, need to accept it and help reduce stigma. Absolutely. So what about gender, Amanda? Mm. Who experiences more mental health issues out of the genders? Yes. So according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, uh, overall women experience higher rates of mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. Um, So between 18 and 22% of, of women live with mental illness and women are more likely to experience anxiety and affective disorders as those things mentioned before while mm-hmm. men are, are twice as likely to have substance abuse disorders compared to women okay wow that's so interesting so statistically women experience more anxiety than men while men turn to substance mm. abuse yeah. i guess it makes sense yeah um i also heard when it comes to young people they can also experience higher rates of mental health disorders so approximately 25 percent of younger people aged 16 to 34 years have experienced a mental disorder in the last 12 months yeah. so Mental health disorders are grouped into high and low prevalence, right? So for young people, high prevalence disorders include anxiety, depression and substance abuse. And more low prevalence disorders include schizophrenia, bipolar affective disorder and other psychosis. Yes, that's right. Correct. So many mental illnesses begin actually based on research that they begin in childhood and or 
Adolescents and around two-thirds of people who experience anxiety or affective disorders will experience their first episode before 21 years of age. Mm-hmm. Um, early onset has implications for people's capacity to, to undertake social, family, educational and vocational roles. And in addition, mental illness has been linked to a range of adverse social, economic and health outcomes. Mental illness is actually linked to reduced rates of employment and shorter life expectancy mainly due to not seeking treatment for physical illness, health health services not identifying concurrent conditions, which is other experiences happening at the same time, mm-hmm. um, and adverse effects of pharmacological treatments such as weight gain, um, sort of su- some of those side effects of some of the medication treatments there. Yeah, so true. And also people experiencing mental health illness are also overrepresented in rates of homelessness and Mm. prison populations, Mm -hmm. which is very sad. So how do we improve rights? How can we help as a community? What are the solutions? It's a really good question. A key issue concerning the government and mental health service providers is the low uptake of services. Mm-hmm. Although access to mental health service has improved with new initiatives such as Headspace, still only one in three people experiencing mental health conditions receive mental health uh, support and wow. services. This mm-hmm. this is this can be because of a reduced workforce and reduced productivity. For example. So, essentially, the government needs to fund more mental health services and make them much more accessible to younger people, regardless of the significant economic impact of mental health. Okay, so, right. Thanks for sharing, Mandy. Um, The overview of mental health in Australia demonstrates that many people are struggling with Mm. mental health illness. One in five people have experienced a mental health illness in the last year. The most prevalent mental health conditions are anxiety affective and substance abuse disorders. Mm -hmm. So how are people gaining access to services these days, Amanda? It's a good question. So uh, according to research, most people are currently seeking treatment for mental illness. Um, They'll access primary and community mental health services with the first point usually being their GP. Mm -hmm. Government initiatives such as the Better Access Initiative has increased access for people experiencing high prevalence, those high prevalence disorders. However, access remains poor overall as most people with mental illnesses do not seek any professional help okay interesting so yes that's um, an interesting um discussion thanks for um kind of engaging with that Mm -hmm. um we will i want to go into a bit more about the history of services and treatment and and what what it's been like over the last century um before we get into that we will just hear from one of our sponsors (laughs) oi oi Oi, oi, oi. IGA is shopping nights. IGA, where the price is right. Seaford North IGA for your groceries and liquor. IGA Express, there's nothing quicker. Right, so Sally, jumping right in. Why why do you think it's important to know the history of, of those services? 
Okay, so the big history conversation. Mm. So I guess in the early days, Australia really relied on institutions as the focus of care and containment um, with greater knowledge, awareness and improved treatment options. The general population and governments began to question the quality and evidence for institutional care and mental health services. Um, so I guess the early history of mental health services in Australia really reflects a limited understanding of the causes and effects treatment of mental illness by the general population and government authorities. In recent years, research states that the Australian government mental health services and advocacy groups have been actively working to improve mental health services in general um, using things like senate inquiries into mental health heaps of reports national health policies and plans um, understanding the current structure of mental health services really requires an appreciation of previous history so the history of managing people with mental health issues it's actually full of so much shame, I have to say. Yeah. Um, in the early times, the mentally ill were pretty much treated in a similar way to criminals. Wow. So criminals and the mentally ill people were transported together to mental health asylums from the colonies and the names of both criminals and believe it or not they were called lunatics were published in newspapers wow isn't that so crazy public. yeah absolutely mm. so australia i think they followed oh no I, I don't think i know that they followed england's mental health policy and practice of managing the mentally ill with a big emphasis on moral treatment and humane care in reality, however, Amanda, the institutions were absolutely overcrowded yeah. and patients with chronic and severe conditions lived in asylums for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. Governments strongly believed that it was the responsibility of individuals and families to manage mental health and welfare needs. There was only minimal government support for mentally ill people in those times. So pretty much left on their own. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And do you know what also is interesting, Mandy? Mm. The following paradigms demonstrate the evolution and management of mental health services in Australia throughout the 20th century um, to the present time. So what's notably different is the language mm. and mental health services has changed. Yeah. For example, um, let me read this straight. Lunatic asylums, that's what they were called in the early 19th century to the 1920s. Mm -hmm. So during these times, mentally ill or people experiencing mental illness were seen as social deviants. Um, they were exposed to crazy experiments, things like hydrotherapy, shock therapy, mm -hmm. and as most people know, lobotomies. Mm -hmm. um, and they were ex also given crazy amounts of drugs such yeah. as opium and morphine for those who don't know lobotomies is where the they put a needle in your eye to touch something in, in the brain without too much research there which <laughs> is very really, gruesome yeah really inhumane yeah absolutely yeah. um and then in the 1920s and the 1960s the language then changed to be known as psychiatric hospitals so these were pretty much hospitals. They were like absolutely like a prison mm. um, and things were heavily controlled. In the 1960s to 70s, things 
were starting to improve because the deinstitutionalization occurred. Mm-hmm. So during this stage, there was more of a shift to community services, mm-hmm. um, but there was still a reduced cost of care. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> the patient was trying to regain a life and to be put back into society. Yeah. So, so that they, was the focus. That was the focus, back, yeah. absolutely. They were also taught adaptive skills mm-hmm. and in general they were receiving better care. Mm. Okay. And then in the 1970s to the 1980s, we move on to community psychiatry. So here, I'm going to try to say this word right. <laughs> Mandy's going to help me. That's okay. Domiciliary, right? Setting. Probably more domicile. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> domiciliary. Yeah. Domiciliary. There, there we go. go. We yeah. got there. Um, so it was more of a domiciliary setting. So the environment is less medical and they've moved. It's like being in someone's home. So they've moved more onto couches, like mm. what it is today. Yeah. Um, and here there was an assessment of patient needs the development of comprehensive service plans for the patients and an arrangement of service delivery as well. Then in the 1980s to the 1990s, the language changed again to mainstreaming. Mm -hmm. So here government agencies and community agencies were working with the medical model to start making something to be considered more normal. Mm. So it was becoming less stigmatised. Still not what it is today, um, but, yeah, there's definitely less stigma during the mainstreaming period. Mm. And then now, so from the 1990s to the present times, it's all about social inclusion and recovery. Mm -hmm. So, again, significantly less stigma surrounding receiving help. Mm -hmm. There's more funding to provide help to those people who can afford it, and now it's known as the mental health plan. Mm. Um, Also, CBT, which is cognitive behavioural therapy, you'll probably hear us speak about this because it Mm. is one of the biggest evidence-based strategy that you can use and also more eclectic services, Mm. um, which are now being heavily promoted Mm. because there is, again, evidence-based research. Eclectic being more using other modalities like we've spoken before. Yeah, Yeah. so things like Mm. solution-focused therapy, Mm. um, more humanistic therapy, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Definitely, yeah. which is focusing on the human experience mm. um, mm-hmm. amongst other areas as yeah. well. So, do you know what's also interesting is that mm. after the deinstitutionalization, which is the process of dismantling the asylum or mental health institution, um, severally, several mentally ill people became homeless. Um, they couldn't get access to mental health services or community care, so their mental health illness actually worsened or they died wow. so even though it was a good thing yeah that they were deinstitutionalized yeah. but there was absolutely nowhere for people to go yeah. so there was not sort of an ease of transition for those no people they, they were they just really like struggled. left you know um, again <laughs> yeah put onto the road and left to their own devices yeah. and a lot of them didn't have that many opportunities yeah. or support networks to help them yeah i actually also did a bit more research into that and then actually there was an increase in crime and substance abuse yeah. and violence and things like that so there yep. was that sort of while well, it was as, as you said good that the institutions were deinstitutionalized um it really the transition was not supported as no. much as it should have been absolutely yeah so yeah so and and thinking about the i guess that the two main events of the 21st century um before going to that 
please feel free to send in any comments or feedback or um, any opinions and and um, questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll just read the number out again so people know. Um, so it's 0493. Shoot us a text, guys. Yeah, 0493 once more, 0493 Let us know what you think. Um, yeah, so thinking about the two main events of the 21st century, um, firstly, World War One did not greatly influence the, the plight of the mentally ill. The medical model remained dominant mm-hmm. with an understanding that mental illness was caused by organic factors like genetic and manifesti- manifested symptoms which cr- required specific treatment. So, however, due to large number of patients per psychiatrist and facility, most services were were custodial so meaning that they were more about imprisonment rather than wow. uh, focused on treatment mm. yeah um, and post world war 2 advancement in pharmacology supported better outcomes for people suffering from mental illness and new more effective treatments and better understanding of mental illness contributed to a shift in the way mental illness was viewed by the general public Mm -hmm. and in 1974 the development of a nationally based health insurance scheme medibank shaped the care of mental illness medibank provided universal health access to health services irrespective of people's income Uh so medibank came before medicare right so medibank was medicare it used, it used to be called Medibank, okay. but then they changed it to Medibear. And now Medibank is the private health insurance now. So, yep. um, so at this time, there were no limits to the number of type of psychiatric services covered by Medibank now, as I said, sort of which morphed into Medicare in 83. And in 1997, the government introduced a 50 ses- session wow. limit per year. 50 session limit. That's must huge. must have been really nice. <laughs> what is it today? Now it's, it's 10. 10. <laughs> Gosh. If well, I was doing psychoanalysis, right? Because yes. <laughs> they take 10 years. Yeah. This year. Probably, anyway. yeah, back then. Um, which brings us to kind of the, the current standing. Um, mm-hmm. Before we get into that, let's let's hear from let's another. Let's play it. If you're the caraway, just call Mitchell Tall. Or in Patterson Lakes, just call Mitchell Tall. Anywhere Bayside, just call Mitchell Tall. Buy a summer house, just call Mitchell Tall. Mitchell Tall. Tall, tall, tall. Real estate. Oh, yeah, real little real estate. We want more. We're done. One take. Thanks, boys. Some real estate there coming in handy. Yes. Um, okay, so we're moving on to the next uh Point, which is where it's at currently. Mm-hmm. So, where where are the mental health services at present times? Yeah. So, I guess another key driver for reform in the mental health sector was the beneficial shift in thinking about disability and illness. Mm-hmm. So, differences between illness disorder and disease were acknowledged as well as the impact of these conditions on a person's social functioning so psychiatric disability for example poor self-care was seen as the consequence of mental illness and not 
the illness itself. So it did not shape your identity anymore. You weren't the illness. Um, People who are suffering from a mental health condition were becoming rehabilitated through living skills programs, residential services, and even hostels, just to name a few. Um, I think research states that in New South Wales, a main contributor to the shift was the Richmond report Mm. into the health services for the psychiatrically and developmentally disabled. Um, The implementation of the Richmond report saw a redistribution of funds from hospital-based to now community-based care, which, as we stated earlier, is known as the deinstitutionalisation. Yes. Now what we're seeing is the state and territory health ministers endorse the National Mental Health Strategy in 1992 as a framework to guide reform in mental health. Mm. So, Amanda, through this mental health strategy, the Australian government proposed to modernise mental health services. So, at the time, Australia led the world, believe it or not, with this mental health initiative and the first national mental health strategy led to further policies, plans, initiatives and standards Mm. from 1992 to what it is today in present time. Yeah, that's right. So, we were the first in the world to, to lead that. Congratulations, Congratulations. <laughs> Australia. Yes. So, yeah, so the first national mental health policy uh, outlined the government's reform agenda. Um, just go into a bit of the, the key principles that it kind of focused on. Um, so, it's things like, you know, they thought that services should be provided through multifaceted interdisciplinary teams to mm-hmm. achieve better outcomes. So, more of a wider scope of support coming from different directions. So, having different care teams all yep. working together. Yes, yeah. People living with mental illness have the same rights as other people, definitely levelling the playing field and and um, treating them like other people, mm-hmm. which included civil, political, economic, social and cultural. Um, people living with mental illness um, have potential for p- personal growth should and should have opportunities to realise this potential. So really looking at that recovery, you know, oriented care and, and full potential. Um, also, um, also looked at uh, inclusion of consumers, carers and their communities in decision-making and planning mm. for mental health services. So um, bringing in their families, carers, supports so, to kind of help them. And you know what's really interesting? The fact that they're using language consumers now. Yes, so it's not changed. mentally ill yeah. anymore. Yeah. They're known as consumers. Yes, they have, yeah. Which that, again that shows the full changed. capacity that they're yeah. trying to give people experiencing a yeah. mental health Yeah, great. Um, Positive outcomes for consumers, as the word again, as first priority of mental health policy and service delivery. Um, People living with severe mental health problems should be prioritised. So I think it created the whole triaging um, focus um, to to focus on who needs Mm -hmm. that more severe support. Mm -hmm. also, effective services require a well-trained workforce and strong support for consumers, advocates and carers. So, also strengthening the support that is provided to them. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, we will play just one more ad before we get into that further. Don't worry about a thing. Because Atticus Health will make you feel all right. 
Don't worry about a thing Cause Atticus Health will make you feel alright If you got a tummy ache Or you don't feel right Or if you have a nasty rash Keeping you up at night Don't worry about a thing Don't worry <laughs> Cause Atticus Health Will make you feel alright <clears throat> Another form of support there You can get <laughs> Don't these worry days. about a thing Yeah um, Yeah so this first National Mental Health Plan Like Sally said Was committed to the deinstitutionalization Of psychiatric services Guided by principles of mainstreaming And in integration mainstreaming um as mentioned before sort of process of moving psychiatric services into the general health services and it resulted in a shift of psychiatric beds into general hospitals Mm -hmm. and promoted continuity of care and better coordination across hospital and community services so although these principles have been considered good practice before the national mental health plan there were no political will or resources to support such a large-scale change it's good that they actually Mm. put it in writing and Mm. um pushed it to be the current standing Mm -hmm. yes amanda i guess the initiative allowed allied health staff such as psychologists, social workers, occupational therapists and counsellors to provide focused psychological Mm. services. So, again, including cognitive behavioural therapy, interpersonal therapy and relaxation, rebated through local divisions of general practice. Mm. Um, So, you can see that this initiative really began a pattern of increased government funding of mental health care through what we know it today as Medicare. Mm. Uh, Funding and access to services were expanded further in 2006 with the Better Access Initiative, I think it's called. Um, The latest revision of the mental health policy was endorsed in 2008 and as a whole of government approach. Mm. So, Mm. this just means a coordination between the Commonwealth and states and territories in addition to other areas such as health and government departments such as corrective corrective services community and disability services really all working together and coming together under the one initiative Mm. so the rationale for the whole of government approach is that access to health services is only one determinant for good mental health Mm. so other government sectors also contribute to improved outcomes for people living Living with a mental illness. For example, there's a high number of incarcerated people mm. who also live with a mental illness. Yeah. So there needs to be more than one agency looking after people like that. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah. So the policy articulates the federal government's vision for mental health in Australia. Um, the vision was a mental health system that enables recovery, that prevents and detects mental illness early and ensures that all Australians with a mental illness can access effective and appropriate treatment and community support to enable them to participate fully in the community. Um, so some of the aims of this national mental health policy that um, was just sort of expressed um, and they created in 2008 mm-hmm. are things like, you know, to promote 
mental health and wellbeing and where possible prevent the development of any of those mental health issues, reduce the impact of mental health problems on the consumer lives, including stigma reduction, to promote the recovery from mental health problems, Mm -hmm. to assure the rights of people living with mental illnesses, allowing them to participate fully in society. Okay. Yeah, so... And we, we've talked about sort of the recovery approach before, but, um, you know, kind of based on our research, it's defined as a personal process of changing one's attitudes, values, feelings, goals, skills, and roles. It involves the development of new meaning and purpose and okay. a satisfying, hopeful, and, and satisfying, hopeful, and contributing life mm-hmm. as the person grows beyond the effects of the psych- psychiatric disability. So it's a process of recovery. Um, that has to be supported by individually identified essential services and resources. Mm. Yeah, recovery recovery is relevant for all people experiencing mental illness at all levels of severity. So this approach recognises that mental health symptoms may not disappear Mm. and the person just needs to learn to live a more meaningful life to Mm. maximise their potential while managing their illness. So non-government mental health services, they've been strong advocates for the philosophy and practice of recovery, right? Um, But the attitudes and expectations underpinning recovery also needs to be adopted by inpatient and community mental health services as well. For sure. So so since government has produced and made these various visions Mm -hmm. and aims, it's important to know how they plan to to put in place all of those things so um they've created various plans they've just made the fifth um national mental health and suicide prevention plan mm-hmm. which was introduced in august of 2017 um, and this plan commits all governments to work together to achieve integration in planning and service delivery at a regional level mm-hmm. it also requires consumers and carers to be central to the way that services are planned delivered and evaluated so i think it's um not only based on evidence-based practice but also practice-based evidence which focuses on the results that it can give consumers um so the plan also recognizes the impact of suicide on the lives of australians and established establishes a direction for coordinated actions by both levels of government to address this important public public issue Mm -hmm. um This plan covers the following eight targeted priority areas. So briefly just go through what their target areas Mm -hmm. are. So firstly, achieving integrated regional planning and service delivery. So I think that's more about, um, you know, reaching people who are struggling to to access those, whether that's um, geographically or where they're struggling with that. so it, it seeks to build relationships with organisations to improve outcomes and experiences of consumers and carers. Um, second priority area is effective suicide prevention and it commits all governments to focus on some key elements which are surveillance, means restrictions which limit how mm. people um, engage in that, media, access to services, training and education, treatment, crisis intervention, mm. postvention, sort of how people are supported after they attempt or engage with that, yeah. um, stigma reduction, um, you know, the oversight and coordination. So just being more transparent in general. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and expanding the language there, I think, as well. 
um, coordinated treatment. Third one is coordinated treatment and supports for people with severe and complex mental illness, Mm -hmm. which is intended as an integrated, culturally competent, sustainable service system that will provide tailored and timely clinical and community supports for people with severe and complex mental illness. Um, I, I like sort of that they, they include that cultural competence because I think Australia's become so culturally diverse it's mm. important more than ever to, to be culturally competent. And culturally aware as and well. Aware, yeah. yeah. Um, which brings, you know, to, to the second, the third, fourth priority, uh, improving Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander mm. mental health this and suicide prevention. Mm. Um, it's intended to, that culturally competent care be provided through integrating social and emotional well-being services with a range of mental health, drug and alcohol and suicide prevention services. And the aim here is to reduce the incident of suicide mm. in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and provide effective follow-up support for people who have attempted suicide. And they've introduced Closing the Gap, which I think yes. is a massive initiative. For sure, yeah. Um, fifth area is improving the physical health of people living with mental illness and reducing early mortality. Um, so better screening, early detection to mm. identify the people in need will... It'll sort of help allied, allow allow health professionals to intervene mm. and provide appropriate care, including better medication management um, and advice on reducing mm. things like smoking and other risk factors. Yeah, so really putting the importance of early prevention yeah. before it escalates yeah. into a mental health illness. Yeah, well, we know that physical health can have a, an impact on our mental health, mm-hmm. um, whatever that physical health may be. I mean, some people can be resilient in that way, but it can it can have an impact Um Sixth area is reducing stigma and discrimination. So there's evidence that people with living with mental illness may experience stigma and discrimination by the health workforce Mm -hmm. as well as by the broader community. The intention here is to reduce the experience of stigma and discrimination when attending services and greater responsiveness to consumer and carer rights. Uh, Seventh area is making safety and quality central to mental health service delivery so here the aim is to provide a safe and high quality service system that targets the needs of consumers and carers that that and is underpinned by continuous and monitoring improvement and mm-hmm. reports on outcomes in a transparent manner mm-hmm. um, and finally the eighth area of priority is ensuring that the enablers of effective system performance and system improvements are in place it is intended that services continue to improve over time and respond to uh, changing experiences so I think there it's important to note that now currently there's so much technology involved with mental health and things mm. like that like apps and things so I think it's good that you know they're always improving and seeing how and they incorporating can kind of incorporate improvements it. in technology absolutely into the legislation and policies as well yeah for sure um, so hopefully that kind of makes sense for people um, definitely you know if you do have any questions or comments or feedback um, we're always open to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you do have sort of further after the after we, we finish the live show, um, please feel free to give the podcast a listen. But if you do have any questions after the live show, um, you can send us a message. And if you want to challenge us as well yeah. to anything, any point that we've made or any Absolutely. opinions that we have, please do so. Yeah, I'm happy to We're have always that. willing for new improvements. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, and also you can do that via our Facebook page, the Counselling mm-hmm. Corner. The Counselling Corner um, on Facebook. You can definitely send us a message and hopefully we can um, 
get get to you in a, in a timely manner. We should manner. have an Instagram page soon. What do you think, Amanda? That's a good plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put that on our mental health plan. <laughs> yes. Great. So, um, yeah, thanks. Okay. Now, moving on to our favourite segment, mm. which is Therapy Song of the Week. So, Mandy and I have both selected a song each. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the song that I've selected, I think I'm going first, yeah. am I? Yes. Um so it's by who have I selected? Okay, Duke Demont. That's right. That's this <laughs> week's. Okay, so this week's song that I've selected is Duke Demont, and it's called Therapy. So for obvious reasons, um, I don't have a huge personal attachment. It's not representing me emotionally, cognitively, or spiritually, but it's a song about therapy, and it's really fun and high energy. And I hope you all enjoy. Thank you. Hello, my name is Océane. I come from Martinia and you are listening to Radio Carom. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that in, Sally. No worries. I also just want to preface um, this segment that uh, since the, the, the live show, you can hear it. So hopefully people are enjoying um, the songs. But in the podcast, um, due to copyright um, reasons, we won't be able to play it there. But we will post the podcast link with um, some links to to the songs that we play so mm-hmm. people can can have a listen but to. I'm sure once we post the links you'll all be running to YouTube and Spotify to yes. have a listen right yes which is which is the aim if you're listening <laughs> on the podcast please uh, pause um, here and have a listen before we uh, mention the song so you know what we're kind of talking about um, but yeah so um, now it's it's my choice of what song I wanted to bring in. So the song I've chosen is it's called Inner Bloom by Rufus De Soul. It's probably love been, this song. It's probably been played on this Oof. radio station a few times, but I find it and it is a bit of a long song, but I do find it to be really calming and therapeutic and kind of hits deeper into the emotions um, just with the beats and, and um, how the song kind of goes. This one is the What's So Not remix. So um, I find it really therapeutic and, um, you know, if, if you're kind of feeling frustrated or stressed, it's something to kind of put on and and um, reduce some of that stress as much as you – as much as it can. Um, so, um, so we'll play that song and then um, – we might just sort of finish up there, but please feel free to um, message us or on our Facebook page, as mentioned before, if you did have any questions or comments or feedback or challenge us on any of our... Mm-hmm. Um, crazy all, wild uh, ideas. Yes, all of those crazy ideas <laughs> and they're all ideas. Nothing is, is set in stone. Nothing There's always concrete. Nothing's concrete. So um, we're always happy to hear um, from whoever's listening or whoever will, will listen now on the podcast if if now you're listening to the podcast um but yeah thanks again for everyone listening today and also to the podcast as well and and the previous episodes um please stay tuned for our for what um episode we have next we have some ex- 
exciting things in the works. Mm-hmm. Um, so please stay tuned and, and we'll keep everyone posted through our Facebook page, which again is the Counseling Corner. If you just type that in, go to pages. I know that there's one that's a person, but um, it's the page. Um, and feel free to, to let us know if you've got any comments, questions, qualms, concerns. Um, so yeah, so we'll, we'll end off with the song. And, and yeah, thanks again, everyone. Thanks, Sally, again for joining me as a co-host. Thanks for having me again, Maddie. Hi, I'm Fiona Lee Maynard and you're listening to Radio Caram, which is what I do whenever I'm anywhere near Seaford Caram High School and Eel Race Road. <laughs>